This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Hey guys, it's Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend and co-host of the Real Blend podcast. And I am back to introduce a new episode, but not to uh, say to you guys that we're not going to have a full episode of Real Blend this week. Uh, we will. We're going to get together and record tomorrow. But as I mentioned last week when I had to do one of these little introductions is that we had a lot of really great interview opportunities. And so this one today is going to be a bonus episode that you guys just get um, additionally because we've had so many cool people to talk to. Uh, Ludwig Gorenson is the composer for specifically, uh, most recently, Christopher Nolan's film Tenant. But his credits up until this point, even though he's a very young composer, have been astronomical. He worked uh, with Ryan Coogler on the Creed franchise and followed him over to Black Panther. He has done the music for The Mandalorian and is now collaborating with Christopher Nolan. And so you know that he's a great fit for the Real Blend podcast. Uh, we were able to work out through his reps a chance to get him on the show. And we have a fantastic conversation about his process, uh, working in reverse with music, uh, bringing a recognizable theme to the Marvel Cinematic Universe for both Wakanda and Black Panther. Uh, and we talk a little bit about the Rocky theme song. So without further ado, a bonus episode of Real Blend this week, in addition to our full show, it is our interview with Tenant composer Ludwig Gorenson. Here we roll. All right, all right. Well, uh, first of all, uh, Ludwig, thank you so much for joining our show. This is an absolute honor to have you on. Uh, I've now seen Tenet 11 times. Uh, I've listened to your vinyl a lot. I think it's an incredible nice. score, one of the greatest scores I've heard in a long time. Um, but for our audience, I wanted to uh, kind of go through your journey. Uh, obviously, working with Kugler, meeting Kugler in, in school, and kind of your journey to Nolan, and and just kind of the working relationship that you have with Ryan Coogler, and kind of like what how different it was with Christopher Nolan. Two very different filmmakers, obviously. You've known Ryan for a longer time, um, so I just wondered if you could talk about that journey and that relationship you have um, with both. Well, I'll start with Ryan Coogler because that's kind of that's that's the kind of the beginning of my professional career, which uh, started about two thousand seven uh, when I met him at USC. He was actually one of my first American friends. I just moved here from Sweden and I just bumped into him randomly at my dorm. Um, I was staying in the, on like this fraternity street at USC. I had no idea what a fraternity was, but it was, it was this, they, this fraternity got thrown out from, it was, it was called Fyside. They got thrown out because they had too many like crazy drug parties. So this year was only open for grad students. Uh, so I moved in there for, somehow and, as soon as I moved in there, I felt like I was a part of like a American pie movie. Like just <laughs> looking like all the girls were living on the other side of the streets on the sorority houses and all the guys 
everyone looked the same. Everyone was like walking around outside my window with these like red styrofoam cups. And uh, <laughs> I've only seen that in movies before. But um, meanwhile, I was like in my little little room, like with headphones trying to like write music and like everyone's like partying like, bro, what's up? <laughs> uh, but not that much party for me because that, that year in, in school, in grad school was, was, it was great, but it was also pretty hard, like hardcore in like terms of like how much we had to do. Um, but one of my, like it was one of the, my first friends that I bumped into was, was Ryan Coogler. And we, we, we played pool together. Um, cool. And we just started talking about films and, and music. And he, he started mentioning, like uh, he started talking to me about uh, Swedish artists because I told him I'm from Sweden and he was like asking me about like all these Swedish artists, like Robin, Lee, Little Dragon. And I was just, surprised that he knew about all these Swedish artists and um and then we start talking about film and uh, a couple of months later he like called me and asked me if I wanted to score his little short film called locks and um wow. and it was interesting because we had had um we both had a, there was we had a, a class together by a professor his name is Kenny Hall and he's he was a music editor working in the business for like 50 plus years. So he's been working with John Williams. He, I think he did it was a music editor on, on ET. So he was like John Williams. He was, he was also like Jerry Goldsmith's main music editor. And oh he gosh. had a class, which, which was really unique for USC and really important, which was the class that put directors and composers in a room together, looking at film, talking about sound and music, which wow. was pretty unusual. And it was, it was so great because that class really made Ryan aware of how important it is with music, but also, but mostly sound. Like um, a lot of the conversations was just about sound. And Ryan's first uh, uh, short didn't have any dialogue, so it was just sound and music. Hmm. So al already from like our first collaboration, Ryan told me how you know we talked about how, how sound was important and how we incorporate sound into music and how really work with those two elements together because that's one of the main points that was taught to us by Kenny, Kenny Hall, was ta taught to us by Kenny Hall. Um, so from that beginning to, you know, the next short film, his 508 film, his first feature, which came right out of school, Fruitville Station. Oh, masterpiece. And we, through all those projects, we worked on like incorporating sound design in the score. So like for Fruitville Station, we incorporated music from the BART train station in the, in the score. Um, and then moving on to Creed, we incorporated music from like the gym and the boxing gym and like the jump ropes. And like I took elements from that, incorporating that in the music hmm. and the score made beats out of that. And then our next movie, which was uh, Black Panther, which was like a completely different um, journey, but uh, hmm. it, it very much, um, you know, it's, it's all projects and films that are completely different from each other, but you know, they they still have at the same you know the same same creator so we, we're just you know even though we're working on this 200 million dollar movie it's still we're so so excited and we're still in the same space that we you know it still feels sometimes like we're students sitting in a little dorm working on a little student film together <laughs> wow, wow. And, and then to nolan a very different collaboration i would imagine or what, what are those differences yeah and then to nolan and it's funny because i think I remember Cooler telling me that 
Chris Nolan, Christopher Nolan came to the, I think it was the Creed premiere, like the uh, first screening of Creed and, and Chris told him how much he liked the music. And like Ryan just started like talking about me for like 10 minutes, you know? And um, so I think that's the first time maybe that, that Chris heard my music in a film and, and um, he just, I mean, for me, it felt like out of the blue, but he reached out to me about, you know, to, this was two years ago um, to just meet. And I really had no idea what it's about, but you know, Chris Nolan is one of my, I mean, he's one of everyone's favorite director, you know, he's, he's the way he's influenced film and he's like such a, uh, he's such a, he is such a master creator, you know, of, of new IP and like new ideas and like new inventions and it's like the way he's reforming film and the way music works in, in his films is incredible. I mean, if, if you're, if you're a composer and if you're into, into music, you know, you definitely paid attention to his films yeah. and being, you know, they've had a tremendous in, in like impact in my career. Like when I saw uh, Batman Begins was the first Chris Nolan film I saw in a theater and like that impact of that film. Cause it was like one of the first times I had an experience in a the theater where like the music, almost like I was like on a live concert. The music mm -hmm. is so much of a character of itself and you're sitting there and like the way that also Chris understands uh, the mixing and music and how, how he puts it in, in the mix. It's like, it, it's, it's such a upfront feeling. So you can feel it in your chest. You can feel it in your, in your whole body, almost like you're on a live concert. So it's like Zimmer will do those live performances, you know, if yeah, exactly. Zimmer seen Zimmer performance. live. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and what they did together with, with film and music just kind of changed the whole way of, of making cinema for the, for the last, I don't know, 15, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Mm. Remarkable. Wow. So obviously when he calls and wants to meet, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm there in, in this, in a split second. And, uh, <laughs> So we met up, I went home to him and, and we had a little meeting or we actually had a long meeting, which lasted for like first meeting lasted for like six, seven hours. <laughs> and we just ended up talking and listening to music. He was playing me a bunch of music that inspired him through his career. And I played him some music that inspired me and, and, uh, we're drinking a lot of tea and, and listening to, to music and, uh, just had a great time. And that, he ended the meeting by like asking me if I wanted to come back to the day after and read the script for his new film. Wait, Ludwig, how does that work? Is it like a, an, an iPad shuffle? Is it, are you guys on YouTube? Are you pulling records off the wall? How does it work? Is no, no, must have a, a record player. I just... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's mostly, it's mostly, uh, uh CDs and okay. vinyls. Okay. So he has, he has a great CD collection and also like he knows so much about, film obviously but also so much about film music so it was all it was almost like i was getting like a little film music class as well because there's a lot of things that i missed out on um that that, that he knows and and um i think we also pulled up some some stuff on, on youtube at, at one point but mostly see it as a vinyl that's awesome hmm. wow uh, Ludwig, I want to uh, narrow in on Tenet for a second. It's a movie that uh, one of the things we've talked about on this podcast is how much better it gets every time you watch it. I think I've seen it maybe six or seven times. Mm -hmm. Kevin's seen it about six or seven hundred times. Um, so, and you know, one of the narratives that, that came out of Tenet is that it is a complicated film, and it is 
uh, difficult to understand. You really, I mean, Robert Pattinson has made jokes about how he didn't entirely understand it. Um, I'm curious as to how your initial understanding of it was. Like, did you get it entirely? And how does your ability to understand the film affect your ability to be able to score it? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I started out reading the script before I saw it. Mm-hmm. So even from the get-go, like I, I was, it took me a, a, lo- a little bit of longer time to read it because there were some parts that were um, a little bit com- complicated to read on the paper that was actually easier to see in the movie. Like the, for example, like the, some of the action uh, scenes like that, sure. that, that's easier. It was actually easier for me to watch in the film. But um, uh, so, but when I read a script, I like, I don't, I feel like what's important for me is kind of the, the environment environments. And also, um, just, you know, just, the the general, the general, uh, what does it say? I, I remember reading like the, I remember reading the script. It was like a big, you know, it was like extreme, extremely ecstatic and I was sitting in a room in an office and just by myself, I had the script in front of me. And I just remember finishing it and just reading that last couple of lines, which is like Robert Pattinson's voiceover in the end. It's like, it was like, oh God, extremely moved how beautiful it was. And that was kind of the feeling that I took away from it. And also um, another thing I took away from it was just the hugeness of the film, like how, how many locations they're at, like a lot of, Cause when I read a script, a lot of, I hear like, I start hearing like a lot of the sounds and, and where there aren't like all the, like the windmills, for example, or, or like the, like the, the wind energy farm, like that, those places, um, the, the fire engine scene, like fire truck sounds and alarms. And like, I don't know, I, I get a lot of input from, from just reading about the space and the locations. Um, but I don't think, you know, I, I, I definitely didn't like understand exactly what was going on at points but i didn't feel like i I needed to either Hmm. kevin jokes all the time he says like you don't have to understand it you just have to feel it kind of that's it she tells you how to watch the movie yeah Yeah. (laughs) Uh, i would like to zero in on on the track uh posterity which uh (laughs) is a little over 12 minutes long i think is that the is that the longest film track that you have released uh possibly yeah that sounds about right I'm curious about like what makes what dictates the length of a track like a, a film track when we look at soundtracks the they, three minutes four minutes often driven by a scene when you get a 12 minute you know bit of sequence and the and even the way that Nolan sort of uses uh, moments of posterity you hear it throughout the film is it something that that you know that that you hand over to him and allow him to choose where it goes or and and what dictates the length of something like that yeah I mean so. I like to work, I like to get to work as soon as possible. So as soon as I read the script, I started to work. Like I, I'm starting out with ideas. And Chris was also very adamant of that's how he likes to work as well. Like that's why he gets his composers really involved at a very early stage. He's finished the script, he sends it over to his composer. You start reading it, you start having conversations because that's also at the time when you have time, you, you, you can spend some time with a director because when he or she is shooting the film, like there's, if you get a phone call once a month, you're lucky, you know, they're wow. so busy when they're shooting the film, they're, they're thousands of decisions to make every hour. 
And then after they shoot the film, like the process of editing is also, you know, it's, 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 you're in a different mindset, but when the, when the director is prepping for, 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 for their film, that's when, that's when they're, you know, that's, they're prepping for the, they're prepping for the location, the production design, the costumes. Why not start with the music there as well? You know, because you're building a universe and that's, you know, especially what Chris is doing with his films, like he's creating its own DNA. He's creating his own universe. It's, and so we started building our own musical universe like six months before they started shooting. So every week I would speak in my studio, just write music based on our conversations, based on the script. And then every other week I would go to his office and we would tracks like over and over and over again, dissect them every sound by sound and dissect the, the melodies that, that Chris likes and the melodies that he gravitates to, the ideas that he thinks could be more elaborate and the things that doesn't work and, um, and take those ideas further and further and develop them. So, um, so some, of these, some of these cues and some of these songs you hear in the film are actually, some of them are written before they start shooting. Like, the, like for, one, for one, uh, one of the cases, the, the, the Rainy Night in Talon, which opens the whole film, like mm. that, the prologue, like Chris kind of, that was the first scene we had to finish because I don't know if you guys remember, but they released that scene before yep. Star Wars. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, a couple of months into our collaboration, Chris was like, okay, well now I want you to start writing an action piece. Um, we need, and he, he told me about the, the scene. I read the script too. And he told me how it starts, you know, with the, the tuning of the orchestra and then right. something like he basically has the idea of the arrangement, even though he doesn't have any music, but he, He's communicating, communicating in a very, very great way where I understand where it needs to go. So I wrote like a five minute piece of music. I sent it to him. We worked on it for, for two more months. And then I didn't hear from him until uh, he took off the shoot. And then I didn't hear from him, from him for a while because they were traveling around the, the world. But I, I remember getting a letter from Talon where he was like saying that they were about to shoot the scene and he's been listening to my track and uh and uh he's i think he also said it was like raining in talent and and it's like (laughs) when he was writing this this email or letter and um and uh he was like the one thing i want to change in this track is like maybe three minutes in i i I, the the terrorists are coming so what what if we make it since arpeggio is a little bit more distorted there and so i remember going back to my studio doing i changed the name on the track to like rain night in talent <laughs> um, and uh, I did that little change, and I didn't think more of it until like three months later when they went back in LA and started editing that scene. And he basically just put my track. I didn't know what I was going in to see, but he basically put my, that track on the on that on that first edit. And I saw it, and it was like I blew my mind because it almost felt like he had filmed the whole sequence to my music. Wow, that piece of score blows my mind. I, like I told you, I've seen the film 11 times. I, I will literally go upstairs in my house 
And that part, it's, it's at two minutes and 49 seconds when the bass drops. It's like, boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and, as, as and like, I love the, like the, the guitar and the bass element of it. It's just, it's just so incredible. And I love that they, he used uh, some of your score in the trailers as well, which is amazing. You don't yeah. really see that a lot. Um, I want to ask you about, and this is probably a question you've probably gotten, but I'm actually interested in how it works from a process perspective. I know that a lot of the filming was done backwards. A lot of the actors were actually fighting backwards, blinking backwards, speaking backwards. And I believe you wrote some of the music and it was played backwards can you and if, correct me if i'm wrong but how how is that even done like do you write it backwards or do they just reverse the notes is it rewound can you talk about that process of having music backwards yeah i mean that's obviously one of the first thing i i, I got from the script the you know the the, the the theme of inversion um and how big part of it it plays uh, in the movie and like inversing, inverting music is <laughs> something that people done for hundreds of years. Like Bach did it in, in, in his compositions. You, you write something on the paper. It's like you write it from, from top to bottom and then you can, and then you play it from bottom up and it's the same yeah. piece of music. Um, and that's something I remember studying a little bit in high school, you know, it's, it's how you can just write a melody, a 12 note melody, and then have it be the same from backwards and forwards. Um, so I knew it's like, okay, well that, that'll be fun to kind of get back to the, to the theory books and like start writing a little bit of music like that. Um, but then, but the thing is when there's a lot of different ways to invert music, but that way of inverting music, the listener, the audience, they're not going to experience it sounding backwards. Right. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. So, um, how do you make the audience experience and hear it sound, experience it like it's sounding backwards. And the only way to do that is to reverse it in on the uh, digitally or, or in the computer. So, you, and now today it's so easy. You can just take, I can take a music program, I press one button and it reverses the audio. But if depending on what sound it is, it's gonna sound different. Most likely it's gonna sound different backwards than what it did forwards. And so how can you take a sound? What kind of sound do you, do you take to make it sound exactly the same forwards and backwards? <laughs> so basically it, that all depends on the attack of the sound. Like if, you, if, if I say something like a bop or like a, a rim shot or like a drum sh big drum hit, that has a very hard attack. So if you play that backwards, it's not gonna, it's, it's gonna sound like something is, um, it's going to sound reverse, but it's not going to sound the same thing as if it's played forwards. Um, but if I have, if I have a sound like a, a slowly, if it's a note like, if the attack is the same as the end, a fade in, fade out, and I reverse it, it's going to sound the same. <laughs> and um, one of the ideas that came out early from Chris and from our conversations was that uh, I was talking because we were listening to something on a CD player and I was looking at a CD player and I was like, talking about how one of the first times I wrote composed or I felt like I was producing music was when I was like seven or eight years old and I was at the house, I was home and I was playing with my, my parents' uh, uh, audio system and the radio and I was sitting with the volume knob and like turning it up and down, you know, and uh, I was talking about how that, that kind of movement in music and movement in, in, 
how you can listen to music today is kind of gone because there's no knobs, volume knobs like like that anymore. <laughs> like kids, kids only have up and down mm-hmm. on. They have to press a button right multiple times. Right, right. And uh, and that's that was basically the origin for 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 Neil's theme. Yeah, because he's because his music and his theme is chords played on and and then manipulated through a, through a volume filter up and down like it, it's almost like waves coming up and down so it plays depending on its movement in the timeline you can play this for uh, forwards and backwards um and it will sound the same uh and uh there's a bunch of stuff like that throughout the whole score the most com- the most challenging part i would say is the the whole scene that's called the is the, the red red room blue room scene mm. where it's it's one of my favorite scenes, and I have a lot of favorite scenes, but it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it's so beautiful. The colors are so beautiful. Mm. It's also such an incredibly difficult executed thing to do as an actor because they had to also to learn their lines backwards. Um, and uh, you see, and the, the way you see it from, two, from the two different perspectives is something I've never experienced before no. watching a screen. And so basically what the music, the music is just doing the exactly same exactly the same thing as the, as the camera and the actors and the story. So it's, it's the same piece of music played backwards first and then the second half of plays forwards. Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. Uh, Ludwig, I'm, I'm a big Star Wars fan, so I would be remiss if I didn't try to squeeze in a, a question about The Mandalorian. Um, <laughs> and and I, I guess just as someone who, um, you know, I, I, we, I literally wake up to be at work at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I will wake up at 3.30 in the morning to make sure that I can see the episode so that I don't have it spoiled for me. Um, because they are, Disney Plus, they're, they're so secretive about all the plot points and when certain mm-hmm. things are going to happen, and, and all of our minds were blown when Luke Skywalker showed up. But as someone who has to compose the music for the show how are you like are you given all the plot points and, and told and how, how are you presented with the storyline so you know if the music fits and i guess specifically like when did you find out about the luke skywalker moment in order to be able to properly compose that um john favreau gave me a heads up like pretty early in season two about it he was like you know and the way that he does it is you know he's so smart because he's he's really good at keeping secrets up, you know. Even from that, you, <laughs> even from me. But but he's he is. Uh, I knew about it, and I knew about the you know the ba- the obviously the real of the baby in 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 season one, which the whole the why it worked so well was that because John was able to keep it a secret. You know, it was a surprise for everyone that that saw it. Yeah, and. Um, same thing with Luke, you know, and, and it's just, he, he knows the importance of, of surprise elements, especially in today's world, like nothing is a surprise. Anymore. So it was just something that he kept very um, tight to like just the, the closest collaborators. And like, whenever I worked with it, we had it, you know, um, everything was like blurred out and, and it was black screen, but he knew that also the importance of me, like, uh, <laughs> of me thinking like knowing about this and also planning to write this music because so, so I think halfway into the season, he showed me like an early version of that. I, I came by and I, he showed me an early version of, uh, of that scene. And I was, you know, very, <laughs> I was very surprised, uh, like everyone else, but, but it was so beautiful. Um, 
but it was also really important because I needed a couple of months to kind of process process it and just starting to think about what to do for that moment. You did a great job. It was a, it was a beautiful, yeah. beautiful work. Um, Ludwig, I have a, a, a very quick one, and then I would like to get your uh, thoughts on Black Panther. One, one because you worked on Creed, mm-hmm. I would love to know where you rank Bill Conti's uh, Rocky score on the list of all-time film scores. Oh, I mean, it's definitely uh, it's definitely top five. I don't, I haven't really done a top five of, of film scores, but it's definitely uh, it's definitely top five of all time because uh, it's, it's. I mean, it's it's. I would say after Star Wars, it's probably the second most known films music. Right. Yeah. Uh, I know. Unless I'm wrong, right? No, that's got to be. It has to be one of them up yeah. there for sure, hundred percent. And and, and probably for one demographic, it's even more known than Star Wars. Like for. Mm. Uh, it's but, a great way but, to wake up in the morning too it gets you going yeah. it gets your heart racing <laughs> automatically um well yeah. because of recognizable theme songs one of the things um that i think the conversation that swirls around the marvel films is that um the heroes you know sometimes are lacking uh, a theme a traditional hero theme um we grew up on obviously the john williams superman theme and and uh danny elfman's batman and spider-man themes and so when you were working on black panther i'm curious is that even something that marvel is aware of is that something that they discuss as well too or is that fans kind of you know trying to attach music to specific moments and specific characters uh do you look to put a get like a black panther theme to the character absolutely i think it's it, it i mean and, and i and, you know i've worked with ryan for 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 a while now and and that was obviously a very important thing for us to to really put our own spin on on this character and, and give this whole universe and a, a different sound and make it sound like like a different you know like Wakanda you know that we would understand understand that we were understanding that Wakanda is completely different from any part of the other place of the world you know it's it's a it's a fictional place but it's but it's also very real because it's 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 technically a place in Africa that was uncolonized, but also has the most uh, te- technology in the world. So it's, it's, um, it's, uh, it was definitely uh, in our conversations from, the, from, from very early on that we needed a very specific sound for this character and for this world. Ludwig, I'll uh, end on this because I think we have two minutes left. So I, I just wanted to say uh, thank you for joining us because genuinely uh, Tenant is one of the most incredible films I've ever seen. I, saw, I went and saw it in theaters and IMAX four times just because I wanted to get that sound. And that the the way the 747 scene uh, climax is that dun, 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 dun. I just want to know, like, when you write something like that, like, like the epicness of what that moment feels like uh, in your mind. And then when you see it with that gigantic 747 that they actually purchased and really crashed, <laughs> um, I just want to know what goes through your mind when you see your own music. I know you explained it with Rainy, Rainy Night and Talon, but when you see something like that on screen, when he's shooting it in 65 mil IMAX and it's full scope, one, four, three aspect ratio, your music's just jumping. And I, like you said earlier in the interview, that's what the beauty of Chris Nolan is, is that he allows the composer's music to be just as important as a leading character as anybody else on screen. So I just wanted to know what you, what your thoughts are in watching scenes like that and hearing that just pumping through a system uh, yeah, and did, just knowing. Did you yeah. see it in a theater? Did you get to see it in a theater? Oh, I saw it. I don't know, 20, 20 times, 30 times for me. Oh, he beat you, Kevin. You're, 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 you see the more than me. This is, oh. But yeah, what's, it, mean, what's it like to hear that music to those scenes like that, especially that, like, and just those that that, that one bass though, that boom, like yeah. that at the beginning. It was so freaking badass. Just wanted to know what your thoughts <laughs> are and just watching it and hearing it. 
Thanks. No, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I saw, you know, when we, when we started to mix the film, uh, for the theater, we, we actually mix it in the theater. So every Friday we, we, we watched the film down. And, uh, so, you know, I, we were able to see it in the theater, which is great. Um, and actually when we started working on this film, every, the way Chris works is that Wiley starts to edit every Friday, he invites the team over and we watch it from the top to bottom, the, the oh. whole movie every Friday. So, uh, which is great because like the Monday to, you know, s- Saturday to Thursday, I'm at the studio and like, I'm trying out different ideas. And then on Friday I'm presenting it and we are watching it in the film and then we have time to talk about it. Uh, and we did like that every Friday for, for, I don't know, nine months maybe or something like that. And, and um, it was such an important part of the process because being able to experience it in its whole like that is very important to, to kind of get a con- consistent sound and consistent through line. But um, I, like I said earlier uh, to Kevin, like one of the, one of, one of the fun things about this project was that there was so much music created just based on our conversations and reading the script. And the 747 track was uh, one of the, also one of the early ideas that I did just based on the script. And um, that was, it was almost like he shot it to the music as well. Like the, and I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I remember seeing it for the first time and like here and like how he edited the, 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 the scene to my music. And it was like, I almost started laughing because it was like, it was so perfect and funny. It just felt like it was like a, what do you call it? like a monster? The, the 747 feels like a monster, right? It feels like a, the, you know, huge, you know, King Kong or this, this crazy thing coming. And it's like, I don't know. It's, I, I didn't have that envision when I was writing the, the, that, that piece of music, but it just came to life in a different way. When then, and, and, um, you tap Nolan on the arm and be like, I wrote that. <laughs> that's, that's my music. That, that whole piece of music is amazing. I like how it starts off all calm as they're putting mm-hmm. their stuff through security, like boom, boom, boom. And then it's like, dun, dun. it's just so yeah. cool, man. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. But, it, but it's, 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 it's a really great way of working because I like that way of working. And that's how I prefer because when you start as a composer, when you start writing to picture, sometimes it's hard to write longer form of music and and you start just writing like you know you start like think you, the picture can sometimes hurt you and you know that you, you don't you, you you don't write because every there's not a lot of scenes or cuts that are longer than 30 seconds so so when you want to write long form I kind of prefer to do it just based on a conversation or just based on the script, because then you can write longer ideas and that just like posterity, for example, like, you know, you can write at 12 piece, 12 minutes, 12 minute piece of music. And, mm. and it, it just, a, it's a, it's a long form way of writing. And I, I like that a lot. Well, we got to get you out of here, Ludwig. We really appreciate uh, you coming on the show. It's an absolute honor, and I hope you know that uh, how much your music is meant to cinema and uh, your tenant score is one of the greatest scores I've ever heard in my life, and I genuinely mean that. Appreciate and I want to say thank you for your time. I yep. appreciate it. it was thank you so much. Great man. talking to you guys, and uh, keep it up. All right, we'll have you back. Congratulations <laughs> on the second baby. Yeah. Congratulations. All right, thanks, guys. If you ever want to do the top five score countdown, please come on our show and do it. Come we can all do it together. <laughs> yeah. We'll do it together.
we would like to thank Warner Brothers for giving us time with Ludwig. Obviously, he had a lot of fun with him. Really great composer. He was joining the show to promote the fact that his uh, score and music composed originally for Tenant is now available. Um, there's a vinyl edition that you can collect. And if you're watching us on the YouTube channel, you saw Kevin hold it up. It's also available all different places that you can get uh, digital music downloaded. And of course, Tenant is now available at home, uh, specifically on a 4K Ultra HD uh, Blu-ray and digital release too. So all the different ways that you can see Tenant, just not in the theaters uh, anymore, the way Nolan really wants you to see it, but that's okay. I'm sure most of you guys uh, tried your best to go out and see it in that proper format. I love the fact that Ludwig talks about the fact that he saw it uh, like every Friday while he was working on it. Just an incredible bit of information from him and made me uh, super jealous. Okay, we'll be back with a full episode this week. We're going to have director Tim Story joining us, uh, talking about his collaborations on the animated film Tom and Jerry, and also diving a little bit into his work on the Fantastic Four. Really great conversation about 3D animation uh, and bringing the Warner Brothers films both to theaters and to home entertainment. So make sure you check that out here. If you're on the new YouTube channel, make sure you go down and hit subscribe, turn on your notifications, uh, and give the Real Blend channel a follow because every single time that we post a new video like this, it gets posted right here. You guys can be the first ones to come and watch it.